0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on our latest installment of Women at Ropes Talk a podcast series brought to you by the Women's Forum at Ropes and Gray. In this podcast, we will spotlight extraordinary women who have had successful careers and interesting lives and are also making a positive impact in their workplaces and their communities. We feature women attorneys at Ropes and Gray in conversation with prominent women clients, industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and others about their careers and what's led to their successes, the challenges they faced, and the hard-earned wisdom they've acquired. I'm Christine Moundis. I'm a healthcare partner at Ropes and Gray and co-lead the firm's digital. Health Initiative. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by my colleague, Amanda Rod, who's based in London. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. So
0: to start, could you please introduce yourself and provide an overview of your practice and other roles you've had at the
1: firm? Sure. So I am London-based, but after moving to London from New York about uh, six or seven years ago. And I'm one of the co-leaders of our global anti-corruption and international risk practice. Uh, And so that spans all kinds of risk areas, everything from thinking about corruption, trade compliance risk, money laundering risk, financial fraud, to issues such as sexual misconduct or other kind of culture issues. Excitingly, I'm also one of the co-leaders of a new initiative that we just launched called the RNG Insights Lab. And that is a legal consulting practice that focuses on data analytics, behavioral science, and consulting uh, and advisory services for our clients. That's great. Could you tell us a little bit about the special guest that you'll be interviewing in this episode? I will be speaking with Louise Dumikin, who is Managing Director and Head of Legal Investments for the Americas at the Carlyle Group, which is one of the largest and most diversified investment firms in the world. Louise and I actually met years ago when she was based in London, but she's since relocated to the U.S., and now she's living and working in New York.
0: How did you meet and start
1: working together? I met Louise not terribly long, I don't think, after she joined Carlyle, Uh, and from very early on, they were looking to build up their anti-corruption and international risk practice. And so we have worked together for years uh, on building up their kind of proactive compliance solution in that space, both thinking about risks at the Carlisle level, but also at the investment or portfolio company level.
0: And what would you say is most notable about Louise's career?
1: I think Louise is just a really great people person, which makes her a a great uh, client and friend. Uh, And I have had huge respect uh, working for her over the years. And I, I think her focus on people and problem solving and really kind of being a partner or advisor is, is so important to her success because of that people within Carlisle come to her. Uh, she's trusted by the business. She's trusted by the legal department and I think she achieves really great outcomes because she's able to really relate to all of those around her, and she takes a lot of time and energy to to make sure that happens. All right, Louise, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us today. Maybe we can start with you just briefly introducing yourself to all our listeners. My name is Louise Demakin. I am
2: head of legal for the Americas in the global legal investments team at the Carlyle Group. Currently based in New York, I've been at Carlyle for uh, just over 10 years, actually, and I was in uh, the London office for the first sort of eight and a half years and I spent the last couple of years here in, in New York.
1: So that's where you got to spend the lockdown, in New York City. Can you talk a little bit more about your career trajectory? I studied law at Oxford University in the UK, and initially
2: I think I went into law with aspirations to work in something a little bit more human rights-esque or family law. I do like working with people and I'm naturally drawn to helping people sort through their problems. So I thought that meant I should be working in those sorts of sectors. And I definitely didn't immediately feel an attraction to big law. But after some time working as a paralegal for a law firm in London, which I was doing to save some money for a year traveling abroad, um, I was actually quite surprised by how much I really loved being part of you know something super high profile. Um, As well as working with amazingly intelligent and driven people, you know, working as a team to accomplish something really meaningful and impactful for the clients. That really changed my mind and and ultimately, you know, kind of still working towards resolving issues and providing answers to problems that the clients were facing. So after my stint of traveling, which I did do, I I went back to London and did a training contract with Clifford Chance. Um, I did my first seat of my training contract, which... Um, For anyone who didn't train in the UK is a period of training that you do before you qualify as an associate lawyer and you can practice independently. Um, My first seat was in the private equity group there. Um, And I think you could probably say I was pretty much hooked from that point. Um, That was 2006. So the deals were coming thick and fast. It was a furious pace. Um, But again, it was that sense of being part of a really great team, which, you know, that team really was. Um, and being really in the thick of it, you know, walking into the office and seeing your deal on the front page of the FT, it was just such a rewarding feeling. And, and I did love it um, despite the intensity. Uh, and I think I've been a deal junkie ever since really. Um, and from there, about about three years in, I got the opportunity to work on a, a secondment uh, to Carlisle in London. Um, that was over 10 years ago now, um, and that's when I first met Heather Mitchell, who's our General Counsel for Global Legal Investments and who is my boss. Looking back, I think that was a really fortuitous opportunity and that I've been really lucky to have. Um, I came into Carlisle pre-IPO when in Europe there was just myself and Heather providing support for four or five teams across Europe. And since then, we've grown our internal practice to a team of nine permanent lawyers based in London, New York, and Hong Kong. Uh, We support every deal team at Carlisle pretty much on the private equity, real estate, and credit sides of the house. Um, And we are working alongside those deal teams on their deals from cradle to grave. We support them on all legal aspects of the deals from early stages of due diligence transaction negotiation, portfolio company issues that arise even beyond deal closing. Um, we've developed training programs for those teams. We've implemented processes internally and externally to speed up a lot of what's necessary to achieve on, on every deal, from engagements with advisors to aspects of due diligence. We're constantly evolving and looking for new ways to, to stay abreast of developments on the legal landscape and make sure we're able to capitalise fully on our global strength and our position in the market. And I'm, I'm super proud of what we have, as a team have achieved. Um, and you know, for myself to have had such a major impact and role in, in its development over the last 10 years, it's been, it's been really great. Um, and today I head up our team's presence in the US um, and oversee the team that we have here in New York.
1: And still a deal junkie that enjoys the 40 hours at your desk?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not so much the 40 hours, but I do. I do love the deals. Um, I was just thinking earlier about how, you know, in this in the second quarter of this year, our minds were on a lot of other things, right? We were in a different mode of work where we were surveying what was going on around the portfolio, around the world, and trying to make make sure we were dealing with that as best we could and when the deal started to come back through you know in the last sort of month or so it was like this light at the end of the tunnel like oh good we're back into the normality of doing the deals and um that's not really uplifting and refreshing and you know it is hard work there's no getting around that um you know it's the nature of a transactional uh, role and, and a transactional job you have to be on it when the deal is going on and you have to be on the calls when they're happening and it's not always convenient times of day etc that that comes with the territory but you know the thing I love about private equity and the thing I love about my job is just the diverse opportunities that I force you to get to you know know and get to learn about lots of different businesses and lots of different people you know it really is a people business and You know, looking at the people who drive these businesses and even our deal teams who have to, you know, nurture their investments and find these opportunities in the first place and working with all of them in their different situations and sectors and geographies. I just love that aspect of it. No two hours of my day are the same Um, and certainly no two days are the
1: same. As you mentioned, the world has shifted quite a bit in the last few months and really since uh, 2020 started. Are there any particular things that you would point to that are just, you know, big changes that maybe, that maybe you see as lasting changes or any, anything positive maybe that's come out of uh, this crazy time that we're all in?
2: Yeah, I do think there have been some positives um, to the situation we've been in. Um, I, I think it's brought people closer together in many ways, ironically, um, given the relationship that we have with the deal teams and portfolio companies, for example, that's really allowed us to reach out to them when all this kicked off, especially to see how people were managing with all of this. And that was really positive for us and our group to see how useful it is that we were already plugged in in that way across the globe. The team in Asia had been through it before us. And then obviously as it came through Europe, the team there focused on it as well and we were sort of poised ready in New York um you know to, to, to have it kind of impact us and e- even though you know I speak to members of the team every day multiple times a day and we share information constantly and knowledge across across the globe and you know the deals that we're working on this really sort of capitalized on that and we could we could have that kind of cross-pollination of ideas and put people in touch with other people if a one portfolio company had a particularly interesting way of handling something or had an issue that needed to be resolved, you know, we could canvass the group quite easily and canvass the portfolio and deal teams as well on whether there were interesting ways that that's being handled elsewhere. Um, not that we delighted in this situation, but it did feel rewarding to be in a position to provide some useful connections and support, even you know, um, in that situation, given the global nature of it and and that we were all thrown into the same situation. Um, And ordinarily as a team, you know, we would be in our respective positions, dealing with our respective deals. And we'd be talking as a group, but this was one issue that, you know, was something that everybody was going through at the same time. So it was nice to be working on that one thing, going through the same thing in a way. I think when you're in the trenches together, that can really bring the team closer. And you know, I'm working with teams that are all over America in South America and in Europe, even in asia and and now we get on a zoom video call where we we would never have done that in the past and I do feel closer to them ironically, maybe um because I can't actually physically see them of course um and we would have physically seen each other quite a few times during this period, but it feels like we've been you know meeting regularly um just for having seen each other on the screen even so i hope that's something that that could continue and that we can be a little bit more tech savvy in that respect because i do think that has brought people together and i see i think we'll see i suppose what the true impact of all this is in years to come um i think the
1: butterfly effects will be quite interesting i love the fact that you know you you said earlier that this is a people business in a lot of ways the um Isolation or separation has created an opportunity that has maybe brought us closer together, uh, which which I I totally agree with, and I definitely hope is a lasting change. Uh, I certainly feel like I get to see you more now that I'm in London and you're in New York, and we utilize (laughs) Zoom and video more often, which is a real bonus. Yeah. Um. So so just changing uh for a minute a little bit back to your to your career and your career uh, trajectory. What are you most proud of in your career to date? I think it's
2: it's quite a tough one um, because it's hard to single out one particular achievement, one particular deal that I worked on or, or, or a point that I won in a deal. Now I remember having a conversation with um a partner in another law firm recently saying to him, you know, it's hard to know how to measure whether you're doing very well uh, what you're, what you are doing well, and he said, you know, I think the thing is that you, you can measure it by whether or not you get the call, right? When I think about the biggest achievements and the biggest wins I've had in my career, it's been when, you know, the head of the European Buyout Fund calls me and says, I need you to be on this deal, I need you to go and be there with them in the room, and you know, those sorts of instances really are when I, I feel like, okay, that's me. I'm, I've I've done what I'm supposed to do here because I'm, I'm getting the call and people are allowing you in to serve your purpose and to, you know, kind of look out for those risks. They trust you to do that. They trust your guidance and advice, but they're not afraid to welcome you into that very sensitive situation that they are grappling with. Um, they actually want you there. I think that's, that's when I have
1: felt that I'm really doing what I'm doing well. What was the most important piece of advice that somebody's given you in your career or one of the most important pieces of advice? Uh,
2: one, well, one piece of advice that I think you actually hear a lot and, um, and, you know, maybe a number of people have given it, have given it to me or I've heard, you know, presentations where people have said it before. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's to say yes to things, even if you feel like, you might not be ready or you've always got more progress to make before you feel like that particular opportunity is is one that you can go and excel at or you know um, maybe you're feeling like it's not the right time because of whatever you've got going on in your personal life you know when opportunities that you can see are going to be good for your career present themselves you should say yes and I think that's Um, that is a challenge for people I mean when I was asked to come to New York you know I'd been uh, back from maternity leave for about three months and had literally just finished renovating our house which (laughs) had been a labor of love for about two and a half years or maybe more even so uh, was I about to emigrate to you know a different country I wouldn't have you know walked into someone's office and said please send me to New York but that opportunity presented itself and I knew I had to say yes despite you know the timing and um, obviously I needed to think about it carefully but you know really glad that I did do that and similarly I think really early on in my career I had an opportunity to um, go and do a comment in France in Paris and you know was very nervous because i did I did French a level, but you know it's one of those things you you use it or lose it, and I just wasn't confident in my French language skills to be honest, but here was an opportunity to go and live in Paris for six months and work in Paris for six months and and so I knew I needed to just overcome that and go and take the opportunity. It was amazing, and I learned so much, and I had a great time and I think it's easy to convince yourself of the reasons why you shouldn't do something or why you're not ready to do something and you should just say yes and just do it because it will
1: always be the right answer. Just say yes. I love it. Um, what about mentoring? How do you see the importance of mentoring in your career and how have you been involved with mentoring?
2: I think it's incredibly important. I think one one other piece of advice that someone gave me as well is, you know, you should have a sponsor and a mentor. The two being different things, a sponsor who actually helps you get further along in your career, who's somewhat responsible for your career and has a a line of visibility on your career and can help you through that path. And then a mentor who you can really bounce ideas off and get advice and guidance on certain situations that come up or how you should pivot yourself um, differently. You know, I always encourage our team to talk through issues because somebody will have a different perspective or will have an insight or will have done it before. And if you're sitting there with your wheels spinning, thinking, I'm not quite sure where to go with this, that's just, you, you know, you're wasting time just pick up the phone, speak to someone else. And, and you know, you would together resolve that issue very quickly. We have a mentorship program at Carlisle, which, which I'm a part of, and I have been mentoring uh, a junior for the last couple of years. Um, which has been going really well. And I actually have got a lot out of it myself because it's a different generation um, coming up and they have a different perspective because of you know, their vantage point as a, as a more junior member of the team and, and actually a completely different area of Carlisle. He, he, this um, uh, person doesn't even work in private equity space. So we can get to talking about things in a very high level and holistic way. And I found that really helpful from a management perspective on being a manager, I can ask, how do you feel about this? What do you think works in terms of this situation? And, and get
1: a lot out of that as well. So I think it works both ways too. Excellent. And I want to turn a little bit to diversity and inclusion and talk about what you see as some of the biggest advantages of having diversity both in law but also just generally in leadership teams and t- t- what value bringing a diverse team brings
2: it's a big question
1: um and
2: i think i think it really it's a really important question what value does diversity and inclusion bring to to leadership we're fortunate at carlisle we have great diversity and inclusion officer Kara who and actually she always points to the importance of of this question and the importance of having a compelling why you know why should companies law firms whatever they are take notice of this and make changes to their organization there's got to be something in it for them in order for them to to really affect change and um you know the answers in in some of the real data that's been collected around this which i think you know leadership teams are certainly getting better at taking notice of you know but she she would give us some um, some statistics that even, even that I can offer from from Carlisle so over the past three four years the average earnings of Carlisle portfolio companies with two or more diverse board members have been nearly 12 percent per year greater than the average of companies that lack diversity which I think is incredible after controlling for industry fund and, and the year of the fund companies with diverse boards generate earnings growth that five times faster on average. And with each diverse board member, they can each be associated with a 5% increase in annualized earnings growth. And those sorts of statistics and that sort of data um, is just so compelling, I think, and and really difficult to ignore. So we have another initiative at Carlisle, the uh, Better Decisions Education Programme, which is being rolled out across the globe now. And the um, the format is, you know, come together in like a working group with a facilitator to, to learn about the importance of diversity and inclusion, to talk about the importance of it, but also to really think about how to practically apply that to yourself and the way that you work. And, you know, a big component of that is to consider unconscious bias, because obviously everybody has biases, we've all been raised. In different situations from different backgrounds and we come to the now with all of that you know built into us. One thing that I w- was reflecting on in that course myself is you know how the difference between needing to go to a uh, a lawyer or go, go to a, a partner of a law firm or whoever it is your advisor somebody who's who thinks very much like you, who has a similar outlook to you, who's on the same page, and you're dealing with a very fraught, sensitive, delicate matter, you know, you you don't want the wild card. You want someone whose judgment you trust and who you've been through it with over and over and over again. But then, you know, I had have you have to challenge yourself because ultimately, you know, if you're putting the same issues to the same people all the time, you always get the same responses and you know no two law firms are the same lawyers within those law firms are, are not are not the same and it's important in some situations you know really to canvas those different views and get those different vantage points and in order to do that you really need to be asking different people and it, i think it's just one example of how you know the course kind of gets you to think about your own your own judgment and your own decisions about who you who you have in your network and whether you have a, a broad diversity of of people and therefore perspectives and judgments. So we have a diversity and inclusion council, which you know it, they they look at you know the environment and and how we work at Carlisle to make sure that it is in diverse and inclusive um i mentioned the better decisions um program that they rolling out which you know yields quite real results for individuals and um, but also you know they've set some quite impressive goals i think for um board composition for example you know they they've um in 2016 has set a goal that we should have diverse boards on all US portfolio companies at the time. I think there were about 38% of companies with diverse boards. And now, four years later, we have 78% diverse boards across the US portfolio and 100% diverse boards within the US Buyout Fund, which is our flagship private equity fund. And more than half of our $221 billion of assets under management is managed by women. And you know, those are really great and important facts to recognise and, and progress to recognise, but also to continually reflect. And I think the other area of um, that's coming to the fore now, obviously, is, is racial diversity. And we just need to make sure we take full advantage of the attention that, it, that it's getting and, and the momentum to make real meaningful changes, as we have seen so far in the sort of gender equality space. Um, and the work's not done there by any stretch, but... You know, we
1: need to keep gathering pace um, and pushing this forward. It's really, really important. I couldn't agree with you more about how important it is. And I also really like that you started the discussion by talking about not only the why and making sure everyone understands the why, but also making sure you tie progress um, to actual data instead of value statement or positions only, but actually looking at data to understand whether the steps you're taking are actually having the desired effect and achieving the outcomes that, that you want them to achieve. I think that's really the only way we, we make real progress in this space where we, where we have to.
0: That was a wonderful discussion. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you listening to our Women at Ropes Talk podcast series. For more information about Ropes and Gray's Women's Forum and our women attorneys, please visit ropesgray.com women. You can also subscribe to the series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.